We certainly serve a great God. Amen. He's a great God and he's worthy of our praise. Thank the Lord and praise the Lord for his goodness to us. I feel like I might have been in church today a little bit. We serve such a wonderful God. So let me ask you when the last time you experienced like a sensory over uh, overload was in your life. When was the last time when you were just blown away and maybe even a little bit overwhelmed? Quite honestly, it, it just happened to me on Tuesday. I was in here having some quiet time in prayer and, and seeking the Lord in my Bible reading time. And I, I read something that just overwhelmed me. And I was in here just giving God praise. I just got overwhelmed by what I was reading and just overcome thinking about how good he is. And, and uh, it was a wonderful time. And then again, the same morning, I was in a meeting with someone and I just got overwhelmed. And when I was talking to them, my emotions all came to the surface and I was just praising God as I was meeting them. And um, it was quite a, an experience for me. And I think it's fair to say that there are a whole lot of people in our country, in our world, who just wouldn't get that. And I don't say that in any arrogance, and I don't say that with any kind of unkindness in my heart. But there, there, first of all, there are a lot of people who genuinely are puzzled by anybody who believes in God, the God of the Bible in particular. They, they, they don't know how we make that leap. We don't, they don't understand why we have faith, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. And there, there are people who don't understand why so many of us will, will get up in the morning and get ready and get gussied up and come to church and gather together so that we can do what we do. Why do we sing? Why do we act away? Why do hands go up in the air? Why are we praying? What is that? For a whole lot of people, they're just trying to figure out what is it about you people that you do that why it doesn't make a lot of sense and when i say that again that's not criticism toward other people i'm stating a fact that the in, in probably increasing numbers uh, percentage wise it's puzzling to people why we worship why we come together why we do that there are so many who don't understand our kind of faith and and when i say that i just just the way that we act when we come together and we worship Many people would hear me talking about being overwhelmed in the Lord's presence. And they, that, that sounds so weird. It sounds foreign. It sounds contrived to so many people. And, and they wonder, why? Why do you worship? This is our third week in this series that I began and called it The Last Age, where we are going through the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And in chapter 1, together we learned that this book, the book of Revelation, is from Jesus Christ. It is his revelation. It is the Son of God's revelation to the world to reveal what will one day happen and is about to happen in what I have called the last age. You'll remember me saying that we are living in what is known now as the dispensation or age of grace, which is the next to the last age. We are living... Um, in, in the age just before the last age, brothers and sisters. So what I'm saying and what I've said to you before is things are not going to remain the way they are right now on planet Earth. Things are about to change and they will be radically different. 
And we're going to see that. That's going to happen. And the book of Revelation, I believe, was provided to us that Jesus stood before his church and he said, I want you to be prepared for the fact that the world isn't just going to keep going the way it's going. One day, everything is going to change when I, God, act. And so the book of Revelation is to help prepare us. And you'll remember that chapters 2 and 3 are in red, at least in my text, in my Bible. And red in my Bible means that is directly quote, quoted from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And before he said hardly anything about what will happen in the future, he had a message for his church. And you'll remember some of the things that I talked to you about last night or last week when we talked about this. I just remind you that in every church, to every church there was sort of a pattern the way he addressed the church he made sure that first of all we knew who it was who was talking i am is speaking to us he said i am and i love that name i love it it's it comes from the old testament when moses didn't know what to call god didn't know what his name was and he said god you're calling me to to go deliver people from uh the from the egyptians and what if i go to my people and they ask me what your name is tell me what your name is and god said you just tell them that i am sent you and there's the same i am is jesus christ because he said before abraham was born i am And so Jesus would identify, I am. And then he would say, I am the one with the sharp sword that proceeds out of my mouth. I'm the one with the blazing eyes of fire and so on and so forth. To make no mistake about it, who was talking? The conquering king of kings and the Lord of lords spoke to his church. And you'll remember then we said that the Lord made a point of saying, not only did he say, I am, but then he said, I know. And folks, I don't know what that does for you, but that sends a little bit of shivers up and down my spine because I just want you to know that the Bible is very clear. He knows it all. He knows us from beginning to end. He understands the I am knows. And then we talk to you a little bit about the responses that we are to have in this week. I would like for us to move forward to chapter 4. Today we'll be looking at chapter 4 of Revelation. It's not that long of a chapter, so I want to read it for you. And I'll read it to you. So if you'll turn, I'm I'm using the new, um, not new international, new living translation. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before speak to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly... I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were the seven torches with burning flames. This was the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day. Night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The one who was, always was, who is, and is who is still to come. 
Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Do you need a second to catch a breath? Do you need a moment to just imagine this? I assume if you have ever experienced anything close like what John experienced that day, you would be overwhelmed. To remind you, when John woke up that morning, he was on the Isle of Patmos. The Isle of Patmos was uh, a place where, where people were sent away to be exiled. And they would put them in isolation. It was no vacation. It was no pleasant way to spend your days. It was very, very difficult to live there. And because it was the Lord's day, John by himself wanted to worship his God. And he says he was in the spirit worshiping God when suddenly the silence and the solitude is broken by a powerful voice from behind him. It sounds like a trumpet blaring. It sounds like rushing mighty waters behind him. And the Bible tells us, he tells us, that he turned to see who was speaking to him and he and beheld the risen Lord, the King of kings. Not like the Lord that he had walked with. It was the same Lord, but this was a different manifestation of him. Now he is looking at one, and you can see the description of the Lord in chapter 1, verse uh, verses, uh, oh, well, all throughout the chapter. He is the one with the eyes that blaze like fire, the hair that is white as wool, the bronze feet. There's a, this powerful description of the King of Kings. And the Bible tells us what happened. When he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he fainted. And he fell flat on his face before the Lord as, as if he were dead. And the Lord went to him and touched him and revived him. He was overwhelmed by the presence of the mighty king of kings. What an amazing thing. And then the Lord reveals to him what's going on, why he is there, why, why the Lord is speaking to him. He is saying to him, I want you to write these things down. I'm, I have to tell you what's about to take place. Again, it was for the church. And then for, quite, for two chapters, the Lord dictates what he once said to the churches. And so John diligently is writing down the words, word for word, what it is that the Lord wants him to do. And after that, he sees a door that is open in the heavens immediately. And I'll get back to this, but he was transported into heaven where he sees and experiences what we just read about. Whatever it is that you've just pictured in your mind as to what it must have been like for John to be translated from earth to heaven and to see the throne and to see the one sitting on the throne, whatever it is that you pictured in your mind, I don't think can do justice to what it really is like. This, for me, is why we worship. This scene in the fourth chapter of Revelation is why I worship the Lord. So, diving in here, I want to direct your attention to verses 1 and 2 again. When John said, Then as I looked, I saw a door open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. 
The events of the book of Revelation occur in two realms. I will call, I will refer to them as the earthly realm. This is the physical realm that we live in. It's what we experience day to day. It's what we're in right now. The earthly realm, this is how we know what we taste and smell and hear and touch and all of that. But there's another realm of creation. It is the heavenly realm. That's what I'll call it. It is invisible to our eyes. Most people have never seen the heavenly realm, but it exists and it's just as real as the chair you're sitting in. You better hope the chair you're sitting in is real or you'll be on the floor in a second. It's just as real as as this physical realm. John is on earth and Jesus appears to him. But in chapter 4, suddenly, John is in heaven. Now, I know the Bible says that he, he was taken and he was in the spirit. That is because ordinary flesh and blood cannot be up there. That's why we get glorified bodies later on. I'll get to that someday. But, but John, I don't know whether or not he, he, his body just laid down and he went up that way. I don't know how it happened, but John wasn't in that body. He was in the spirit and he saw the heavenly realm. And just imagine the experience for him to one moment be on earth and suddenly he sees a door. That is open. That's what the scripture describes. And the voice calls to him, come up here. And I think there's an energy that goes into John and somehow immediately he is in the spirit and he is in the, in the, in the heavens. Woo! What a powerful experience for John. So I will tell you that he is where, where the, um, the realm is invisible to us for most of, for most of our lives. We'll never know or understand it because we don't see it. But I will say that the book of Revelation shifts back and forth between the earthly realm here and the heavenly realm. And what we're going to see is that when something happens to or on the earth, it was initiated in the heavenly realm, especially in the book of Revelation. We'll look a little bit later at the last verse of this chapter where God is acknowledged as the creator of all things. But I will tell you, his creation includes both realms. And in his creation, the physical realm is connected to the spiritual realm, the visible realm to the invisible, at least to us, realm. So much in the way that John describes what he is seeing when he is in heaven has to be symbolic, meaning he is, he is giving words, earthly, earthbound words and earthbound language to, he's representing something that's not earthly. So when he talks about uh, when he talks about things that he sees in the heavenlies, he's not able to really give an accurate description because let me say something to you. Some of you here, many of you here have loved ones who are in glory. And let me tell you something. Glory is far beyond what your words or my words will ever be able to describe. Whatever colors, whatever you know of colors here, wait till you see glory. Whatever beautiful music you've ever heard here, wait till you get to glory. Everything is so much bigger and so much better in glory. Your loved ones, as much as they love you, if you would ask them to come out of glory and back to the earth, they would say, uh-uh, no way. Love it here. I'm having a great time in the, in the, in 
in the place where the Lord has prepared for me. I love that the Bible says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or mind conceived of the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Let me tell you, when John has the task of describing what he sees, all he has is earthly language and earthly images. So a lot of revelation will come out very symbolic. And so when I read these words to you, they're not literal and it's not right to interpret the book of Revelation in a literal sense. It's too great. It's too big. He has to do the best he can, but it's all symbolic. And I love that. I love that he is seeing these things. Uh, and, and what he is trying to do is describe to us something. But again, how could he not be completely overwhelmed by the experience of seeing what he sees? So much of what he sees is otherworldly. And he is so limited because of his earthly descriptions and earthly limitations. Right after writing down the message to the churches, as found in chapters 2 and 3, John looks up and he sees an open door in heaven. And Jesus calls to him and says, come up here and I will show you what is about to take place. And immediately, again, he is in the other realm. Immediately, John is in heaven. The symbolism hearkens to the words of what what Jesus said when he said he is the door. That one door that John saw, Jesus, that just so beautifully represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying to John, come up here. And that is symbolic to me of the day when he summons his entire church to come be with him. There's an event that we will read about and learn a little bit about more in in our study of Revelation. But you can read a little bit about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. We call it the rapture. There is going to be a day when the Lord says, come up here. And we'll meet him in the clouds of the sky, brothers and sisters. And we'll enter through that door, Jesus Christ, into our rest. And the church will be with the Lord forever. That's enough to even make a Wesley and get blessed, folks. The day is coming. We'll hear that beautiful voice. Come up here. Come up here. He'll call your name. He'll, he'll tell you to come up. And you'll be with him in glory forever. You'll see what it was that John saw. You'll see the power and the glory of it. Why do we worship? Well, brothers and sisters, we worship because of the throne. And instantly, verse 2 says, I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. That moment when John was translated to heaven, the very moment his eyes were immediately drawn to the throne of heaven. And folks, you'll have to forgive me for getting a little emotional. I live for this. This is what my life is about. I want you to know I get excited about this day. If you can get excited when the Eagles win the Super Bowl, this trumps it all for me. So I'm just saying this is mine. This is what I get thrilled about. But so he sees the throne and and he and that's the first thing he says. And brothers and sisters, it's not a throne. It is the throne. It is the highest of all thrones that have ever existed. And he sees the one sitting there. It's symbolic of the position of the one who is sitting upon the throne. There is no throne higher and there's no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no one wiser. There's no one more mighty than the one who sits on this throne. And the throne that John saw is the pinnacle of all creation. And there he sits, the king of glory. Because the throne is the throne of the creator, the master, the sovereign of all gods. 
It's high above all others. Isaiah saw it in Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm reading these words so you can see it straight from the word of God. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. And each had six wings. And with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called, cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Folks, let me just help you with something. When you go and when you see the throne, don't expect it to be a quiet little white people's church service. Expect it for it to be a place where shouting and praising is going to be happening. You might as well get used to it. God's going to park you probably right next to somebody that will make you uncomfortable. And that'll be okay. Well, there's going to be a place of such joy, a place of such exaltation. And folks, I promise you, the very first thing you will see when you leave your body and you go into heaven, if you are a believer, the very first thing you will see is the throne of heaven. You will see God. You will see him high and lifted up. I say this with great respect. But we worship him because he occupies that throne. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever our God reigns. I say it with sincerity and respect to everyone else's right to choose who they want to serve. But I have to wonder why people worship anything or anyone other than the Lord God who sits on that throne. If you or, or, or if who or what you worship doesn't occupy that seat, why worship him or it? Why? There's no reason to. What puzzles me even more are people who just ignore God. They, they, they somehow know that there is a God, but they push him off and they ignore him. That said, we worship him because he is on the throne. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is firmly in control. He created it all and he is on the throne. We worship the one. He saw the one who sat on the throne. And folks, there's only one. One God. There's only one who can sit on that seat, brothers and sisters. Nobody else can sit on that throne. No one is worthy to sit on that throne. I love verse 3. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. The glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Again, this is earthly language trying to describe something too beautiful and too wonderful to, to express. I know the Hebrews tells us that God lives in unapproachable light. I know another place where the Scripture tells us that Jesus' face shone brighter than the sun. All I know is the one who is on the throne outshines them all. And he's the one we worship and he's why we worship. It's because of who he is. It's because he belongs on that seat. Again, remember, John is doing his best to describe what he is hearing, what he is seeing, what he is experiencing. He's trying to describe the presence of Almighty God. I can imagine as he penned these words later on and was reflecting, he probably trembled as he wrote about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Sovereign God. I'm sure his heart felt like it would explode. It was otherworldly glorious. And the one sitting on the throne was brilliant. The splendor of a king, robed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. 
all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice. Trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Oh, brothers and sisters, we worship because he is great. Chapter or Verse 5 of chapter 4 says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were the seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, there's the Holy Spirit right there. That's the sevenfold spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. You'll remember that when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon believers at Pentecost, tongues of fire came to rest. This is the Holy Spirit. This is his presence. In the next chapter, verse 6, you will see that Jesus, the lamb that was slain, and we'll get to him next week, but you'll see that Jesus is in the center of the throne. Right in the center of the throne, which means he, they don't, he and God the Father aren't trying to take up the same space at the same time. It just means it's the best way that he knows how to describe that God is one. He is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God is there on that throne. And that's who he is. I love what Deuteronomy 6 says when the Lord himself is speaking. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, your mind, and your uh, your heart, your soul, and all your strength. Brothers and sisters, sisters, he is the one, the one. He is the only one worthy to sit on that throne. He is Lord. He is God. He is the sovereign of the, of the universe. He is the majesty of creation, and he is why we worship. That's who we worship. We worship the one God of this amazing, powerful book. We worship him. And I can imagine what it must have been like for John on that day to see the throne and to see the one seated high and lifted up and being worshipped. And brothers and sisters, we worship because the rest of creation worships. The rest of creation worships. I'm going to read these verses to you again because there's not that many verses 4 through 11 and then we'll get to what I want to share with it. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were the seven torches with the burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea, glass, a sea of glass sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day, night after night, They kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is, who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they existed because you created what you please. What is your view of God? When you think of who God is, do you see this God? Do you see the one on the throne? Do you understand who it is that created you? 
If so, how do we respond? In this book, we're going to see that almost all of creation worships the Lord. Sadly, the devil and his angels or demons do not worship the Lord. They never give credit. They never give glory. They never give honor to the one who sits on the throne. And there are people mentioned in the book of Revelation who will never bow the knee until every knee is forced to bow. They never worship the Lord God. And that's a... a, a, a a deep sadness in my heart. But I will tell you the rest of creation worships the Lord. It worships God. The 24 elders do. Some scholars say that these elders are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 disciples. You'll remember Judas got replaced with Thaddeus. That they, they're represented there uh, uh, by him. They could be that 12 of them are the disciples. I don't know. And then the scholars talk about the four creatures who worship them. And most believe that the creatures represent flesh and blood creation on the earth. The one with the face of a lion, the wild creatures. The, the ox, the domesticated creatures like cattle. The one with a human face, of course, humanity. And the eagle, all the birds of the air. Whether or not that is true, here's what I will tell you. The Bible tells us that all creation worships the Lord. You'll remember the day that Jesus was headed into the city of Jerusalem. Just before he would be crucified, he's headed in. And he's on the back of a donkey. And he's making his way in. And people are laying down palm branches. And people are laying down their cloaks. And they're giving praise to God. They're giving glory to God. And they're shouting things like, Hosanna. And the praises are being lifted up. And as he is coming into the city, the religious leaders were disturbed by all of the praise that is being heaped on Jesus and one of them rebukes the Lord and he says to Jesus you need to stop all these people from saying these things and giving you glory. Glory belongs to God. I love what Jesus said if I make them stop the rocks are going to cry out praises to my name because all of creation praises the Lord the Bible says the trees clap their hands. The Bible says tells us that the roar the, the waves roar in the power because he is a mighty God. He is a God worth worshiping, folks. You know what's sad? So many people will end up without him because they refuse to worship him. And trees worship the Lord. Rocks would cry out. And I, there's an old song I like a lot. It's a little camp chorus. Ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. Folks, I want to praise the Lord because he's worthy. I praise him and I worship him because of the throne today. I worship him because he's the one. I worship him because all of other creation recognizes the Lord. Just demons and humans that are stubborn don't. But he is worthy. And folks, we do know, because I've said this to you and we'll see this later, there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is Lord. Folks, this isn't God being egotistical. All the worship that you will read. And as we go through the book of Revelation, you'll see worship services just break out in heaven. Man, and I can't wait to the last one because I get to be part of that. When the angels, all of them are singing praises to the Lord. And the new Jerusalem has the Senate and the, child, and the children of God join in their song. Woo! That's enough to get a Wesleyan pastor blessed right there. That's enough to light a fire even on me. And if your fire doesn't get lit about that, then maybe you got wet wood. Because, man, how can you not be blessed? 
thinking about how good God is. So here's how I want to end our service today. If all creation praises God, I'm asking you, will you today? Will you earnestly and wholeheartedly, we'll do it through song. There's many ways to worship the Lord. But will you from your heart sing this song that we sang a little earlier, How Great is Our God? Will you take it to heart? Will you not just go through the motion? Will you sincerely lift up praises to the Lord? Because let me tell you something. The angels are praising him. The four living creatures are praising him. The elders are falling down. They're casting their crowns. And they're worshiping. And they're shouting, you're worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're worthy of this praise. And so I just want to end this service in a little bit of a different way. I just want us to worship together. Amen. Just lift it up. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to sit, then sit. But let's do the very best that we can to give some praise to the Lord before we live. After we're done, I'll dismiss you. But let's give some praise to the God today. He's such a good God. He is worthy. Splendor of the King. Hallelujah, Jesus. Clothed in majesty, and all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, trembles at his voice, trembles at Our God, sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age He stands. 
proclaim that you are the King of kings, Lord of lords, mighty God. Lord, we pray that you will accept our praise and that you will bless us as we leave this place to, to walk around with an attitude of worship, an attitude of praise to you, Lord, for everything and all that you are and all that you do. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.